Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. I'm uh, solo this week. I figured we'd answer some voicemails, get caught up. Courtney told me I needed to put out an episode before the end of the month. And I was like, okie doke. The end of the month sounded so far away when she told me that, but now it's Thursday, and I'm not going to lie, I thought yesterday was the end of the month, but apparently it's a leap year, which I need to put a pin in that because I feel like this is something we need to snorkel for a minute. And no, I don't mean the calendar. I do, of course, mean Amy Adams uh, under celebrated rom-com leap year. I'm just kidding. No, I really do. That That is a pretty bad rom-com in the best way. I do need to look up leap year really fast in order to move forward. But point being, normally I need a little bit longer to put out an episode. So we're just going to see what happens. I have a backlog of voicemails. Thought it might be like fun to random shuffle through them. And um, let's just, yeah, well, let's, let's have a good time. Honestly, that's my new life motto. Let's have a good time. Because uh, I'm hoping that I'm now going to be adopting a much breezier disposition now that I feel like professionally for like for once, for once, I, I feel somewhat satisfied. I feel like I can relax. I feel like the, the past years I felt a lot of pressure with the book. And now I just feel like I want to cartoonishly put my feet up on the desk and my hands behind my neck because I wrote a New York Times bestseller that called Blue Balls a Conspiracy Theory. That the called football a male capri spectacle. My whole life that, you know, the category of nonfiction really served as an intimidating example of sophisticated literature that I probably wouldn't be interested in not only because I'm the type of person that says the movie's better instead of the book is better, but also I wasn't t- particularly interested in, in think pieces. And to have my own think piece about all the things I liked that weren't think pieces hold its own among the rankings of alleged sophisticated think pieces is so profoundly satisfying in ways I don't know I'll ever be able to articulate. And uh, yeah, part of me's like, do I maintain momentum? Do I hustle and grind from here? And part of me is like, eh, I could just die happy. Because I'm of child-rearing age and I'm probably going to die anyway. So, what's new with you? Um, I guess I'm now a mother of six. You know, I've got Teddy and Tugboat and, you know, my embryos on ice chilling somewhere in the West Loop. Apparently they are children, um, even though perhaps the cruelest joke of all is nobody knows better than people that go through IVF treatments that frozen embryos are quite literally not children because transfers do not always take. And the amount of things that go into a successful transfer that have to work perfectly, I I was going to say, first of all, you just need to look at the science, but that's the last place anybody that's a part of this argument is going to look. But I believe the statistic is like two embryos for every one live birth. Like they literally aren't children. And it's just not that simple. Wow, guys. <laughs> Kate from kind of the beyond, because I just managed to go off on that tangent for like 40 more minutes. That's not a joke nor an exaggeration. Tugboat's furious. Listen to him. I think I'm going to put it out as a separate bonus episode because it's kind of a heavy topic. And I know you did not sign up for a supersonic, embryonic, disconnected, not respected rant. That is, of course, um, the weird white girl rap from Teen Witch called top that. Anyway, what's doing the world, you guys? I mean, Kate Middleton's missing. Um, my feed is it's basically Miss Peach's world and I'm just living in it. Am I, do I follow Barstool and Dave Portnoy closely? No. 
Do I think Miss Peaches is a goddamn delight? Absolutely. She's a rescue dog that's gained more success than I'll ever see in my lifetime. I heard she's getting invited on that tart trip to Bora Bora. <laughs> Kidding. But she did it. She has like 200,000 followers. I mean, we haven't seen this success since Pookie and the Jets. Are people still talking about Pookie? It's a tricky balance you have to hit when you strike virality. It's almost like, you know when brands um, start to get down on memes and then the meme officially becomes uncool? I kind of feel like that way with celebrities doing TikTok trends. And, you know, I love Reese Witherspoon. God bless. To the father, the son, and the Reese's Book Club, may one of the millennials see such success. <laughs> but uh, it's funny when, like, she's uh, talking about Pookie. Um, and then Pookie and Jet do a video in response, doing like a TikTok scene from Legally Blonde, which I support and was cute. And they have every right to do. But I almost watch audience. Like, I think, some, think something happens when people almost respond too much to their own hype, which I hate for them because I wish for everyone the Miss Peach's experience of, you know, you will forever be able to ride the coattails of your virality because you're endlessly charming. But I do think like sometimes, yeah, you have to be I think people just tire of things so fast. Emily Mariko is being called a trad wife, which I think is interesting. Because at first I was like, no, I don't think so. But then somebody DM me, they're like, well, no, think about it. She's like a pregnant, beautiful woman that never speaks into the camera. She cooks and is silent. And I was like, ooh, that's dark. I don't think that's what she's going for. But perhaps there's a separation to be found here where um, there's somebody's intentions for why they post their content. And there is how they're there is the analysis in how they are received and perhaps asking ourselves why that type of content is so successful. Not that this the person has some agenda. I think she really lives an aesthetic lifestyle as a former YouTuber. So she was kind of raised by curation. And I'm sure YouTube and her aesthetic world in real life have kind of fused in a weird way because if your job is to like perform your life, your life would kind of need to resemble the thing you're performing. So I don't know. That, that, that's a little too uh, much for the old hat rack today. But I do think we need to be careful of reducing people to their being pregnant or their choice to have children in the name of feminism. Like, do you remember when people, like, turned on me because of, they found me with being, like, childless millennial, which was all about, like, how I just wasn't sure? And I announced I was pregnant and I was getting, like, tagged in stories being like, another one bites the dust. It was so weird. And it's like, if you're such a fan of my work, then how dare you reduce me to now just being a pregnant woman you can no longer relate to and imply that that will impact the quality of my work going forward. But yeah, it just was kind of, it's a bit backward. Trust me, I know my own feminist take or not, takes are nothing if not flawed, but like, yeah, I just, I don't love people being going out of their way to like actively misunderstand a, a situation or like use her as a vessel to project whatever they want onto her simply because she's pregnant and not talking and cooking. It's like, well, aren't we the ones reinforcing these gender roles and our assumption that they're inherently oppressive and not some people's like active choice? Like she's not out here arguing to submit to your husbands and like speaking out against vaccines, you know, like I'm like, I just don't get the, on this leap day that felt like a leap. Um, I'm not saying the trad wife movement isn't deeply concerning. It is. It's just like, can a gal slice an avocado in her third trimester? <laughs> like, let her live. <laughs> I will say, I mean, I think it is okay to change. And I do think the one 
takeaway I have in this past six months of motherhood is that it, it's made me so much less critical of other people. I don't know. It's just like, God, we go through enough and like demanding we all respond perfectly to everything and that like other women must be in perfect alignment with how like we personally believe women should act. I don't know. Sometimes it's, you know, fun and harmless, but like at a certain a certain type of scrutiny and a, at a certain point of like volume of content, it's kind of like, man, it, it's a little um, it's a little grim to, you know, be like so critical of how many of us are essentially just responding to like the harsh self surveillance society requires of women and how that makes us constantly like modify our behavior and then the compounded surveillance of us all talking about it. I don't know. Feels like a lot some days. But not today. Today we're keeping it light. Um oh. You know, I don't want to be that person that keeps bringing up Dance Through the Stars, but do you guys follow Riley Arnold? I just think she's a doll. And like in my benefit of the doubt era, am I being like duped by Harry Jowsey? I just find him charming too. It, their content together is just fun, and I don't know why I find it to be so, so delightful. It's so delightful. I, what I, I, the whole Dancing with the Stars tour, I am fascinated by as a person who, like, had enough trouble with the tour logistics of just one person. But that's like a troop of a million. They have to like shower in the venues, which is whew. The just the venue showers are tough stuff. And Jenna, Jenna and Val like brought their baby with them. I watched a 10-minute video of Jenna Johnson explaining how she has her baby roam on the Dancing with the Stars tour literally three times. <laughs> so fascinated. Um, was it a baby? If it's one? I guess that's a toddler, right? I don't know. I'm not quite there yet. We're almost at seven months, which is nuts. We're currently dealing with a strong desire to roll over back to stomach, but an absolute, complete and utter disinterest in rolling stomach to back. You know, we talk about the challenges of motherhood when um, your child isn't sleeping, but no one talks enough about how, once they are sleeping, um, when they start to roll, you're not sleeping. Because at, at first, the like them rolling and sleeping on their stomach is a little, it makes you a little uneasy. But like if he can't figure out how to roll back over, but also he's not even doing that. Like last night, I looked at the monitor in the middle of the night. And he was holding on to the crib bars, like with his, with his like legs kind of flying out from under him, like he was Orphan Annie on that drawbridge, like hanging on for dear life. And I'm like, what are you doing? <sighs> He's perfect. Anyway, um, I was gonna say what's next on my list. I don't have a list. I was just trying to think of the things that I've been thinking about when I need an escape. Like I'm Orphan Annie, trying to run from Miss Hannigan. Last week, my I lost an adult tooth. <laughs> That's uplifting. Sorry, not lost an adult tooth, but I was getting my makeup done before the Chicago show, eating a mint, and it, I didn't even know it happened because suddenly I was like, damn, this winter mint is hard. But then I realized I was like chewing on a large piece of a tooth and then I spit it. I was like, oh my God. Like, it, 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 it's, it's literally a thing of nightmares to, to have like all your teeth crumble in your mouth, you know? <laughs> And and to not even realize it happened, and it just, like, broke off, like, a large, large piece of my back molar. And then I told you guys on Instagram, and lo and behold, apparently this is, like, something that happens postpartum. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, kids make you lose your teeth. And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> I, like, keep thinking I'm in the clear yet good because it feel a lot better, you know, six months postpartum. But I did not know 
one of the many lovely features and benefits of pregnancy was your chompers being on the chopping block. Anyway, I've never had issues. The only time I've ever chipped a tooth is when I was running a side gig in high school. I wrote about this in my book, uh, making huge ass pearl necklaces with like preppy ribbon ties. And then I also started dabbling in metallic ball necklaces after like the Tiffany's ball chain necklaces. And I found out that I could make them for much cheaper at the local Ben Franklin Crafts. My business was booming and I was but a sweatshop in my Florida room and moving so fast that I was just started biting on the needles to pull them through the huge ass pearls or silver balls. And uh, yeah, eventually wore down my tooth and chipped it. And to this day, I haven't fixed it. And most people can't notice it, but it's on my front tooth and it bothers me. And every single day when I brush my teeth, I think of those goddamn necklaces. I think I say it reminds me of um, how far I've come since my days in the minds of elective low stakes manual labor in the name of social acceptance. <laughs> Do you remember that phase, though? It was like huge pearls or huge silver balls and then huge silver pearls or silver balls studs. One time my sister and I wore such large pearls to a P.F. Chang's. I want to. Can I live in that? sentence <laughs> that the waiter i believe compared kelly to wilma flintstone which wasn't a bad comparison because at the time we were wearing a lot of like asymmetric you know one shoulder tops and and wilma does have a bit of a side bang i mean betty rebel obviously is the better hairstyle she's got she's been rocking a fuck ass bob since i don't know 62 i will say it always kind of bothered me that um fred flintstone like his cartoon was pre his like beard area was like pre-shaded to have a five o'clock shadow. It just, I don't know. Something about that paired with the, um, you know, floor missing from his car just made him seem unkempt and sloppy. And I don't know, like Wilma deserved better. But I realized they were like in the Stone Age. Um, and at that point, had the we like procreated enough? I mean, wasn't everybody, isn't the entire romantic pool like your sibling or cousin? I mean. I don't know. I just Googled in the Stone Age, were partners related to each other? And came across an article that said, ancient courtship, DNA reveals how Stone Age women left home for love. And it says, it seems young males did not go out questing for love like some aristocratic second son thousands of years later in medieval Europe. Rather, it was the young women in the fifth millennia BC who left their small communities to enter into new ones with a male partner, often becoming esteemed figures of high status in a family that followed his male line. Hell yeah. Betty rubbled so Tinsley could Mortimer, you know? Taken together, their DNA therefore reflects the social rules for prehistoric dating. The National Post's Joseph Breen takes a look at the steamier side of paleoanthropological kinship studies. Oof! Is it hot in here? This is the stuff I find interesting. Then I realize I'm not smart enough to understand these articles. Because no mitochondrial haplogroup, a type of DNA that follows the maternal line only, was transmitted further than one generation. I don't know what the... My, mitochondrial haplogroup. No idea. As we know, amount of woman in STEM. Speaking of, okay, so... My kind of inside joke with myself about not being a woman in STEM before you, like, knew about the stuff I was writing is largely rooted in the, the concept of the first chapter of the book, Limited 2 which talks about Teen Talk Barbie, which I, if I actually talk about in one of the very, like, I think the first 10 episodes of my podcast, I'm so fascinated by Teen Talk Barbie. Because as I've told you guys, the interesting part about Teen Talk Barbie's lore, she was created from focus groups, 
where young girls like expressed what they were interested in. So she was programmed to say like four of 250 phrases. Let's go shopping. Do you have a crush on anyone? Let's go to the mall. Wouldn't you love to be a lifeguard? And um, one of the phrases was math class is tough. Parent groups and feminist groups thought this doll was problematic because depending on which of the four phrases she said, especially in addition to math class is tough, it kind of represented a you know, problematically narrow scope of interests for a young woman in their eyes. And beyond that, women were extremely underrepresented in STEM fields and they didn't want to discourage, uh, you know, enthusiasm for math, I guess. But I always thought it was confusing because as I talked to my mom about it, like math class was so tough for me. And I liked all those things. And I just thought it was interesting the first time I read about Teen Talk Barbie that the solution for them thinking she was like too shallow and ditzy of a doll was to replace the doll with what? A a mute model, aka a doll that said nothing. And the mute model is a motif throughout my book in terms of how I felt in many different circumstances in my life where uh, my silence would have been preferred. Kind of the irony of navigating these spaces where you feel like you shouldn't be loud and proud about your interests. Just, you know, keep your mouth shut if you want to be taken seriously. Or when you're talking to boys, you can't be too chatty, too interested. You have to be withholding. You have to, you know, there's so much strategy around how I talked and uh, what I said that it seemed like being quieter and showing less of my personality was perhaps the the better route to go and just stick to being hot and fun or um leading you know up to my career now where almost the irony is like my refusal to shut up about anything and this podcast is like the opposite of a mute model so this is why i cannot stand idly by influencers are out here trying to get me to tape my mouth shut are you kidding me i listen I get what people are saying. I get that, you know, mouth, there's health implications to mouth breathing. Nose nose breathing is better. Uh, I I, I get there's like ancillary health benefits, but I hear people mostly only discussing anti-aging benefits, which is dark to me. And quite frankly, I think this is the patriarchy in action. Because you know what dudes want? That's to look young and to stop yapping before bed. That's when I have some of my best thoughts. And I will not be muzzled in the name of vanity. Beyond that, it looks crazy to me. Try it, go for it, but please, for the love of God, make sure you do not have any sort of obstructive sleep apnea beforehand, in which case taping your mouth could be quite dangerous. Um, and also, I do believe you're supposed to put it uh, vertically, like perpendicular to your lips. We're, we're not supposed to be out here like doing a face on the milk carton. Like we're not cosplaying kidnapped. Like I think I've I read the safer thing to do is um, like mouth puffing instead of breathing. But regardless... Do what you like, like what you do. But I do kind of draw the line sometimes when it's like, okay. You know, remember when people were, weren't were telling us not to use straws? There's this absurd, like, side-sucking straw that doesn't require you to pucker that people were hawking on TikTok because they didn't want mouth wrinkles. The only, the only way we get behind that is if it was a resurgence of, of Big Turtle trying to trick people into stopping the use of, of single-use plastics. What's so crazy about the internet is that when I first got in the game, I mean, the thing you got canceled for was using plastic straws. People would, like, comment on your Instagram stories in a nanosecond, being like, oh, so fuck the turtles, huh? You just don't care about the environment? And it's like, two messages ago, you asked me for a link to, you know, my Zara romper. That's Landfill Zara S. What's with the selective outrage? This would be, what, 2018, I assume I was wearing rompers? You know what's tough is my failure 
to constantly recognize that whatever I'm doing in the moment is not timeless. And like I've <laughs> two like my major life events, I'm wearing the same outfit because, you know, love a two for one. I'm a Payless Bogo girly. So I hired a photographer for my engagement photos. And Greg and I were like, well, might as well get a corporate headshots. His headshots are what he was wearing in our engagement photos, which a classic male, you know, look, a button down, a blazer. Like, it almost makes me mad that he doesn't have an equivalent of like a chevron top. We're the ones, you know, forced to chase the fleeting trends and ever be replenishing our inventory of products to stay current and therefore not be written off by society. So you don't have to cut the rings open in my engagement photos or my corporate headshots to know that it was, in fact, in 2016 because I am wearing an off-the-shoulder ruffle chambray dress that literally every single person had <laughs> that particular year. But I was like, oh, chambray, technically denim, like blue jean baby, LA lady. Like, this is my granddaughter one day is like going to want me to pass it down to her. And no, like, the shelf life of that bad boy was so short. <laughs> it was... Came and went faster than the Republicans just did a 180 today in support of IVF all of a sudden. Because they realize it's a bad look, but are also facing the obvious ideological inconsistency that people like me delight in that extremists will not like on the right because it does in fact prove them wrong. Because obviously if you support IVF and therefore the freezing and potential discarding of embryos, you do not actually believe life starts at conception. It was never about life. It was always about control. Anyway, to leap into the next topic before we get to voicemails, I do just want to clarify that um, leap year, um, leap years exist because while the world follows a 365-day Gregorian calendar, shout out to Greg, it actually takes the planet a little bit more than a year to orbit the sun. It takes Earth 365 days, 5 hours, 48 minutes, and 46 seconds to orbit the sun, according to NASA. Wait, they're just a little late. How very be there in five of planet Earth? 365 days and five hours. Wait, that's fun. Instead, leap years are added to account for the difference. The extra day keeps calendars and seasons from gradually falling out of sync and impacting harvesting, planting, and other cycles based on the seasons. Without leap days in 100 years, calendars would be 24 days off. And in 700 years, northern hemisphere summers would begin in December. For example, July is a warm summer month where you live. If we never had leap years, all those missing hours would add up to days, weeks, and even months, NASA said online. Eventually, in a few hundred years, July would actually take place in the cold winter months. Can you imagine? Making choices for the betterment of the planet when we're no longer on it? Oh, what a concept. All right. Okay, you know what I was thinking about earlier that I didn't want to bring up because I already, I could feel myself getting too far into this topic and never recovering? Okay, the like people yelling at influencers for using plastic straws in the late 2010s is like a micro version of one of the most persuasive social responsibility campaigns, uh, arguably of all time, which is, of course, the demonizing of litter bugs. Now, listen, I don't support littering. I, it is not a becoming trait. It is so profoundly lazy, not to mention frustratingly bad and cluttering of of. Our environments and neighborhoods that we all need to take care of and respect. However, when you look in to the origins of the Keep America Beautiful campaign or nonprofit and who it's backed by, strangely, it's big corporations. Coca-Cola, Nestle, Pepsi, McDonald's. 
for half a century, you know, private citizens have been deeply guilted into never littering, always picking up trash, reduce, reuse, recycle. Recycling is legit. I'm not saying it's not. Um, but there are a lot of efforts by the manufacturers of waste to make the consumer feel as guilty as possible about how they dispose of that waste. And I just think it's real sneaky to not focus on who's manufacturing all the litter and to put all the onus on the litter bugs who toss the garbage on the ground that perhaps should have been manufactured more responsibly in the first place. The word litter bug was invented by a focus group by a campaign called Keep America Beautiful, which we all know well, and it was funded by plastic packaging manufacturers. And the goal was to remove state laws that enforced the return and reuse of glass bottles to bottling plants for recycling and reuse. And the upside was disposable single-use plastic is cheaper. And without the regulation, the waste increases profit. And to do this, their goal is to move the conversation by shifting the blame onto consumers instead of not the actual manufacturers who are responsible. And they invented the term litter bugs and it spread through schools into our dictionaries that made us feel guilty about garbage and waste and single-use plastics and made it harder and more expensive to do things sustainably. And litterbug, unlike jitterbug, here, let me just, uh, I'll read Wikipedia so you don't think I'm a conspiracy theorist. There's a few different things you can read about this. Are they reputable? Tough to say. <laughs> she goes to Wikipedia. Um, but, okay, this is a 2006 article called The Origins of Anti-Litter Campaigns. This is according to Heather Rogers' Gone Tomorrow, The Hidden Life of Garbage. The entire anti-litter movement was initiated by a consortium of industry groups who wanted to divert the nation's attention away from even more radical legislation to control the amount of waste these companies were putting out. After World War II, the story goes, American manufacturers were running at full blast and needed American consumers to keep buying more and more junk if they wanted to maintain their profit margins. And since there's an upper limit to how much junk a given family genuinely needs to own, manufacturers had to figure out how to convince consumers to keep throwing their existing stuff out so they would buy new stuff. In part, that meant companies had to ensure that in a few short years, consumer goods would become either unfashionable, see trends, obsolete, you know, like not offering customer support for anything a few years old, or broken, like non-replaceable batteries and products that wear out after two years, or like the forced obsolescence of any of our, you know, technological products, where if you don't get a new phone over and over, you'll soon be struck with a situation where you don't have a charged phone and there's not a soul around you that can provide a, a compatible cord. Or even like, it's crazy how like when we finally got a car last year, it only has USB-C ports. There's no regular USB ports. I had to swap out all my cords. And then like some hotels haven't even bothered to, you know, upgrade to a lamp with a plug in it. My God, if in this crazy life and in these crazy times, you're making your hotel guests climb behind a grimy headboard to even have a chance of plugging in a phone near the bed. I just spent my whole last month in hotels and you wouldn't believe how many were lacking in bedside outlets. And it's like, for the love of God, get a lamp with a USB port. It's not that hard. But another way to ensure that factories could keep churning out junk was to introduce non-renewable packaging for products. For instance, the aluminum soda can that could be produced, trashed, and then produced again. The problem is that all this endless and needless manufacturing creates a lot of garbage and pollution that generally wreaks havoc on the earth. Eventually, people wised up to this fact. In 1953, Vermont passed a law banning throwaway bottles after farmers complained that glass bottles were being tossed into haystacks and being eaten by unsuspecting cows. Suddenly, state legislatures appeared poised to pass laws that would require manufacturers and the packaging industry in particular to make less junk in the first place. So that's where litter comes in. In 1953, the packaging industry, led by American can company, 
and Owens Illinois Glass Company, inventors of the one-way can and bottle, respectively joined up with under other industry leaders, including Coca-Cola and the Dixie Cup Company, to form Keep America Beautiful, which still exists today. Keep America Beautiful was well-funded and started a massive media campaign to rail against bad environmental habits on part of individuals rather than businesses, and that meant cracking down on litter. Within the first few years, Keep America Beautiful had statewide anti-litter campaigns planned or running in 32 states. It managed to shift the entire debate about America's garbage problem. No longer was the focus on regulating production. For instance, requiring can and bottle makers to use refillable containers, which are vastly less profitable. Instead, the litter bug became the real villain. And Keep America Beautiful supported fines and jail time for people who carelessly tossed out their trash, despite the fact that clearly littering is a relatively tiny part of the garbage problem in this country, not to mention the resource damage and pollution that comes with manufacturing even more junk in the first place. So, just a fun history lesson for you. Again, not saying you should litter, but it is a little bit funny when you think about think about all of the the civic duties you could perform, all the social responsibility you know, related decisions we're faced with in a given day. There is something about littering that contains like an intrinsic guilt other acts of civic duty simply do not. For many things, I can like choose to feel guilty or not, but in my reflexes, I really have a deep discomfort with litter. And I think that the term litterbug, according to, you know, Wikipedia, by a bro named Paul, a copywriter in New York City, a vague marketing boy, who originated it for the Ad Council in 1947. He also came up with the 1963 campaign theme, Every Litter Bit Hurts. God, I miss my calling writing slogans. But anyway, litterbug, such a sick burn. We don't use it enough. Uh, if you really want to get under somebody's skin, I dare you to call them that. But I guarantee you it's not going to feel good. I think as a person, regardless of this conditioning, I wouldn't, like, love trash. <laughs> I'm sure most of us wouldn't. But I do think it is interesting to consider how effective this campaign was in terms of not littering is, is like, part of our national identity. Unless you're at a movie theater. Or unless you're the best building an inadvertent fortress out of watermelon white claw cans at a track five. God love you. Okay, let's get you some voicemails, shall we? After a brief message from our advertisers. Ever wish there were more than 24 hours in a day? Or, I don't know, perhaps 365 days in a year? Because same. Luckily, Chomps knows real life demands real ingredients. That's why they make healthy snacks perfect for life on the go. The benefits of a high-protein diet are abundant, but most of us aren't getting enough protein in our diets as is. Enter Chomps. It's, let's say it's 4 p.m. Currently, it's 5.19. I am ready for a little snack. But before I get to eat dinner, I need to go feed the baby in a painstakingly slow manner because, you know, we're still trying to navigate spoon usage. And then give him a bath and put him to bed. And this is the time of day where I just crash if I don't gear up for the next few hours. And this is where Chomps comes in handy as like the perfect light snack that also is filling. I started eating Chomps because of my sister Kelly, who loves them for a snack when you need to pick me up when you need some protein, when you want to like come back to life. And with zero sugar, up to 12 grams of protein and chompable flavors, you can take bigger, bolder, and better bites every time. Chomps are simply made with natural ingredients you can feel good about. They're filled with the highest quality, sustainably sourced, 100% grass-fed meat, so you can feel good about what you're snacking on. They come in nine delicious, bold flavors, so there's a healthy snack option for everyone. With thousands of five-star reviews, snackers around the world have satisfied their hunger cravings with Chomps. Even better, you can order online and have them delivered straight to your door. You can even subscribe for ongoing savings. Can't reiterate enough. Love a meat stick. Who knew? This is my first foray into them. And now I put them in my suitcase before live shows because they're just so dang convenient and delicious. And right now, Chomps is offering our listeners 20% off your first order and free shipping when you go to chomps.com slash be there in five. Go to chomps.com slash be there in five. 
to see all the delicious flavors and get 20% off your first order and free shipping. That's C-H-O-M-P-S dot com slash be there in five. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. Do you think they know that I'm missing a tooth and can't chomp right now? I actually still can eat chomps even without my chomper. (laughs) Okay, speaking of like too many plastics and products, I had an epiphany a few years ago and looking like in my shower and all of my hair products. It was so much clutter and so much stuff that I don't even know I needed because I find it very hard to figure out what hair products I need for my hair type that to me is not like that obvious and specific because it depends on the environment. This is why I love pros. And I've really found hair care products that could kind of fit a more dynamic set of needs. Whenever I'm describing my hair type, I'm like, well, it's greasy, but it's also dry. I want volume, but I want it to be like soft and manageable. You know, I'm really picky about my hair. And Pros allows you to transform your hair and skin with custom care with made-to-order formulas designed to be one of a kind, just like you. You take a very involved hair quiz. There's like millions of different formulas that can result from this, which is so cool, like how customized your routine ultimately is. But They ask you questions about everything from, you know, heat styling to products to, you know, hair coloring to like even your zip code to determine how environmental pollutants may contribute to your hair's current state or, you know, various like lifestyle questions. And it's it's pretty interesting. And ever since I switched to a custom routine with pros, my routine just feels so much more manageable because I feel like all my needs are being met with like a streamlined set of products that match, by the way, love the aesthetic and introduced me to products that I wouldn't have thought of before, like a pre-shampoo scalp mask that oh, is so good, especially after, you know, going one too many days in between washes. And yeah, I'm a huge fan. Pros is uh, hair care with your name all over it. Like literally, they put your name on it, which I, again, I think is just a fun touch. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off. Your first subscription order at pros.com slash be there in five. So get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash be there in five. That's P R O S E dot com slash be there in five. Hi, Kate. Long time listener, first time caller with a terrible memory. Um, I was just going to ask you your thoughts about the mitochondria um, and it being the powerhouse of the cell and other things like that that we millennials and maybe others learned in high school that are just uh, in our brains forever, uh, like also the quadratic formula, x equals negative b plus or minus square root b square minus 4z, all over 2a, um, or maybe it's not called the quadratic formula, I don't know. Um but yeah, that was my, there's just those things that stick with you forever. And um, of course, it's not, you know, something that I use in my everyday life um, that would be more useful taking up my brain space. But here we are. Um, okay, that's it. I had so much fun at your San Francisco show. I think the world of you and that's it. Bye. Um, I think the world of you. That was so nice. Thank you for coming to my show and for still caring about what I think. Sometimes I get off stage and I'm like, there's just, you want to be like cool and normal, but sometimes I just feel like I give off big goober energy. And that's just, you know what I mean? It's just not ideal. Um, I really enjoyed the San Francisco show, though. That was such a cool venue. And that was one of my favorite all two walls at the end because it was like the right size and shape. Sometimes I can't snake through the crowd quickly enough. And that when I got to like literally every single table and I was really excited. And my mom's sorority sisters were there, which was so cute. 
And I, yeah. Um, okay, I love this question because I think about this all the time. Uh, as my mom asked me last week, what is Soka Toa? And I was like, oh, this is how you calculate angles of a triangle. And was that even right, though? Is that trigonometry? It's like sine opposite over hypotenuse. I think sometimes people, I sound smarter than I am because I can memorize stuff that I don't really actually understand. So I like, I remember a lot of like the acronyms and mnemonic devices and like the things we did. They couldn't tell you what they're for. So yeah, stuff like the Pythagorean theorem, it's like I remember the formula, but no, I've never used it since. And to be clear, like if you're an engineer or like, you know, doing something involving math, I know well, this is like, obviously you're going to use these. But for a vague marketing gal, like, no, not Y equals MX plus B, TI5. You know, I just, when am I calculating slopes? Unless I'm trying to figure out if somebody had a nose job. Um, also, I don't think that's how you calculate a slope. I'm pretty sure, isn't that like the Y-intercept? Because it's Y equals? Because the slope is at, is M, no? Hold on, let me look that up. Y equals MX plus, don't you love when I look, look stuff up in front of you? And don't edit it out? Slope intercept, yeah, of a straight line. M is the slope of the line and B is the intercept. Dang. Uh, oh my gosh, math class isn't tough. But yeah, I think about uh, so much stuff. I'm like, abacus, what are you doing? Why were we using you? Gravity, 9.8 meters per second squared. Don't use it. Think about it all the time. Never had to play a recorder again, except when I resuscitated it during the pandemic to play blank space for you guys. I love things like never eat soggy waffles. I, I refer to PEMDAS in my book by calling... Uh, the way bloggers introduce themselves on their social media bio, digital PEMDAS. One of my favorites that I learned in terms of like where the Mississippi River is and how to like, un you know, remember state geography is Mimal. But I get into uh, Greg as like, you have to stop bringing up Mimal at parties because I'm like, there's so obviously a man in the middle of the United States. The hat is Minnesota, the face is Iowa, the, the nose, you know, Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana, the boot. Tennessee's a frying pan and Kentucky's the the... Looks like a piece of fried chicken atop it. I mean, it's just so obvious to me. But yeah, the most random stuff pops into my head, like how um, <laughs> one of the main causes of the Great Depression was the overproduction of durable goods. I think about like Pangea and plate tectonics a lot. I think about biomes a lot. Punnett squares, what's your vibe? Orienteering. Still don't really understand how to use a compass, but love a gym class activity that involves a leisurely walk. Like the layers of the earth, lava having like a sophisticated alternate name, magma, osmosis versus diffusion. And, and like the, the, the term uh, permeable membrane is in my head, but I don't. Osmosis has to do with water. It's almost like there was a handful of times I studied really hard and then I remember like specific facts and phrases from that time. Like, I weirdly know a ton about the President James K. Polk because was it the Wayside School series? where they went to Polk High School. And I remember thinking, what a random U.S. president. I learned so much about so many presidents, but like there were a handful of randos that I truly couldn't tell you anything about. You know, Grover Cleveland, Chester Arthur, like Millard Fillmore, he doesn't even go here. Also, how terrible is it that most of us like only remember one thing about William Taft and it has to do with him like fitting in his bathtub? I mean, truly, who lives who dies who tells your story? <laughs> The first time I met Greg, he asked me my last name, and I didn't, and I don't know why, because this isn't like a game I play with people. But I told him to guess, and I said it's one of the presidents, and he said Rutherford B. Hayes, and I thought it was like the funniest thing I'd ever heard. <laughs> and it's like not, but probably just because I thought he was hot and didn't, you know, he didn't know I had a thing for random. 
leaders of the free world lost in history. I actually kind of want to ask you guys this on Instagram to see what you have to say, because there's probably so many funny things I'm missing. And I'm curious if we like the same stuff pops in our head or not. I'm going to go. Honestly, maybe get a chopstick um, and see what you guys say, because you're usually pretty quick to respond. BRB. Let's see. Scrolling through. A lot of PEMDAS. Periodic table. Totally. The schism was in 1054. This person said, I applied the transitive property weekly, at least. And honestly, I love the transitive property. Nora, a hypothesis is an educated guess. It really is. And that was an educated answer. Thank you for replying. So many people said the quadratic formula to various tunes from, I believe, the person who called in on the voicemail. That was Pop Goes the Weasel. I saw I'm a Little Teapot. Someone here said it to the tune of the Michigan fight song, which that confuses me. What I don't know is like, are you like from Michigan or Ann Arbor or is the Michigan fight song another song kind of like how the ABC song is actually Twinkle Twinkle Little Star? I want to text my husband. What's the melody of Hail to the Victors? Is it a popular song like Pop Goes the Weasel or is it an original? We'll see what he says. Because in my... Hail to the victors. Yeah, that's not interesting. That must be a very Michigan-specific thing. Oh, he said, it's an original. There's nothing like it or as good ever again. Or as good as it ever again. Why? Oh, my God. Michigan people. I should have known better. Again, Michigan people love Michigan. Especially University of Michigan people love Michigan. Which is great. Love your school pride. I just, like... I can't even ask questions like this because it's just like, why? Nothing's ever been as good as the greatest place on earth. You know, when here about the seating capacity at the big house, like, nah, I'm good. Thank you, though. One time he told me the loofahs are really good in Michigan. I'm like, sir, loofahs? What are you talking about? <laughs> in Michigan? Like, what, admire? And now he didn't mean that, like, weird signal people put on their, like, golf carts at that elderly home in Florida that means you're a swinger. He literally meant, like, the shower sponges you can buy there are exceptional. And I literally, to this day, have no idea what he's talking about. Where was I? Um, something shocking. I've had to use the statistics, standard deviation, and p-value. Yeah. Actually, okay, same. I, so... I didn't realize when I took like six, took on um, six sigma training, I would have to be doing like heavy statistical analysis. Um, but what was interesting is that I didn't hate it that much. I mean, like I didn't love it, but I don't know. It wasn't as bad as I remember. And I really think in many ways, like school was just not an ideal learning environment for me because I was actually kind of better at, I mean, I, in, when I worked in market research, like I had to be able to do a certain level of analytics and I was not that bad at it. And it shocked me. Um, and I don't know, maybe for me, it's motivation-based. Like, turns out if you're going to pay me to learn something, you know, put me up in Tampa's finest courtyard Marriott. Maybe I am a woman in STEM. Um, I did live in Florida while I was doing six sigma training. And I, I just, like, went to Buffalo Wild Wings, calculated p-values, took names. I had a great time. Um, iambic pentameter, yeah. It's, like, even fun to say. Glass, paint, paper, lead, and tea. Oh, the things the British taxed? And stamps, right? Or no, it was just called the Stamp Act? I forget. We're sick of their taxes and their crummy rules. 
We're much too bossy and the king is cruel. We gotta do something. What can we do? I've got an idea. You? Yeah, let's have a tea party. A tea party? That is from my Revolutionary War play in elementary school that I feel like I have sung you before. Uh, oh no, this gal said the nucleus is the powerhouse of the cell. Should we tell her? I'm worried. Mitochondria being the powerhouse is like literally so, it's like a meme now. It's like, oh no, what's the cytoplasm? That just popped in my head. But yeah, no, it's, I believe the, the colloquialism that we all like loll about is mitochondria being the powerhouse of the cell. <laughs> Every good boy does fine. Oh, that's music, right? Mine was Ernie gave Bert dead fish, which gross. But that's what my piano teacher, Miss Major, taught me. Also, what are the odds that my piano teacher was actually named Miss Major? Is that real? It would be like if I was named Kate Dulcet Tone. I don't know, it just seems a little too on the nose. Magna Carta, year 1215. Gutenberg invented the printing press. Why, yes, he did. And Martin Luther exploited it to challenge the authority of the Catholic Church. You imagine if Martin Luther had like an ex-evangelical, but like ex-Cath TikTok. You know what's interesting? I feel like the Protestants like don't really talk about Martin Luther much. I don't know, the way he fully like spun off Christianity. Making, you know, Protestantism the Vanderpump rules of the Catholic Church's Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. To use a very accurate and astute parallel. You know, they both have their own thing, but different vibes. One more traditional. One more rooted in a, well, much more established franchise. I just don't feel like Luther, Martin Luther's really talked about that. Well, I guess except for the Lutherans. You know, <laughs> I guess they are named after him. I'm an idiot. I mean, think about how hard it would be to create a movement back then. It's hard enough to go viral now. I have all the tools in my tool belt. But yeah, printing press. Clutch for M. Luth. Top of mind inventors are also kind of an interesting, like, trivia category. Like things that people discovered or known for, or, like invented. And I've actually been meaning to find a few inventors to have in my, like, brain word bank. Because whenever I think of inventors, I can't think of women besides, like, Marie Curie and radioactivity. May she rest. You know, she died from radiation exposure, tough stuff, like the guy that died on the Segway, who invented the Segway. Um, because I'm like, okay, telephone, Alexander Graham Bell, light bulb, Thomas Edison. Like, almost always, Washington Carver inventing peanut butter pops into my head. But actually, contrary to popular belief, he did not invent peanut butter. Let me look this up. Don't, don't got a fact check. Want to do my due deal to Washington Carver? Yeah, he was one of the greatest inventors in American history, discovering over 300 uses for peanuts, including chili sauce, shampoo, and shaving cream, and glue, but not peanut butter. But yeah, I feel like my female repertoire, I like, um, you know, I'm like a Betsy Ross. It's like she sewed the American flag. Also, much to my disappointment, I found out that Frances Scott Key is not a woman. Because, you know, you look up female inventors, you hear about people like. Madam C.J. Walker, otherwise known as Sarah Breedlove, who was a black female entrepreneur and, and activist who was like the first female self-made millionaire in America. Why are we learning about her? Anyway. Divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived. Oh, is that? 
Okay, yeah, why is there a jingle about how Henry VIII's wives died? Speaking of the Protestant Reformation, what a story that is. You want to ditch your wife because, you know, she didn't produce a male heir and you believe it's punishment from God because you're marrying your brother's wife? You want to marry Anne Boleyn? Thinking she's going to produce an heir? But still married. You know, you think you can pull your connections because you're, like, king and stuff. Uh, and Pope Clement's all like, nah. He gets excommunicated. Then Henry's like, yeah, I'm the head of the Church of England. The Pope's out. No religious authority. He divorces Catherine. He marries Anne. But as we know, we plan in God lulls. Henry and Anne Boleyn did have a child, but it was a girl. Of course, Elizabeth I. But then he goes on to, like, marry so many other people. And why do we school children have a jingle for the way all of his wives died? <sighs> so weird. Also, does it ever creep you out to think of, like, that it's like you hope the human condition is, like, at its core loving and empathetic and not overly associated with the way we're nurtured and socialized in our time. But, like, we so are because on what planet would today's day and age? Can you imagine seeing, like, a public beheading? Are you kidding? It, like, freaks me out. Anyway. Okay, too many of you are saying Roy G. Biv, and I find that far from useless. I literally think about Roy G. Biv every day. Except for indigo, which is kind of like the Pluto of colors. Ooh, primordial soup. MLA formatting, yeah. I think we've talked about how at the MLA, I thought it was like some authoritative governing body, like the FBI, that could meaningfully impact my life. But two died and made the MLA king, you know? Even if I looked, I wouldn't cite it. Because I'm I just traumatized from so much last comma first. In my bibliographies. Um, a neuron is a clap, clap, clap nerve cell. A neuron is a nerve cell. No, I'm trying to, it's funny to read words and try to figure out the melody. A neuron is a clap, clap, clap nerve cell. A neuron is a, the three claps are really throwing me off, like syllabically. Neuron is a nerve cell. No, I keep doing the, the hip bones connected to the leg bone or whatever. A neuron is a nerve cell. A neuron is a nerve cell. No, that's Taylor Swift. A neuron is a nerve cell. A neuron is a clap, clap, clap. A nerve cell. So, I'm sorry, the third clap is throwing me off. I need this person to follow up with me. I think it's supposed to be a neuron is a nerve cell. But I guess I can work that out later. I'm so glad someone said anti-disestablishmentarianism because in the chapter where I wax poetic about handwriting, popular girl handwriting, I refer to this word because it was so, it was just like such a flex. Let me find it. Don't be annoyed when I read from my own book, but like, I don't know. I don't get to talk to people about it really. Like, in, you know, people ask you high level questions, but I, I, I um, want to talk about anti-disestablishmentarianism. I'd lose, I'd lose track of time watching my words elegantly dance in between the loose leaf lines, wondering if the high they described in Dare was the feeling of mastering the flare of an uppercase cursive L, or perhaps the danger you felt in the air committing to a cursive uppercase Q that looks like a 2. Whether writing the word anti-disestablishmentarianism, a favorite tail-free spelling bee flex, or the quick br brown fox jumped over the lazy dog so I could experience every letter in the alphabet, I was obsessed. What I was getting at there is that there were two things I loved to sign, 
Anti-disestablishmentarianism is a really fun word to practice in cursive um, because it has no tails. N- 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 the, the caps, that they don't drop below the line. <sighs> and also, it's a word that's, like, in terms of, like, compound root words, it's not very hard at all to spell, but people acted like it was, like, the biggest deal if you could spell it. And then, of course, the quick round fox jumped over the lazy dog. You can sign and, in doing so, spell every single letter in the alphabet. Doric, Ionic, and Corinthian columns. I'm a graphic designer. Why did I learn this? <laughs> Foil first, outside, inside, last. Yeah, I forgot about that. Fertile crescent. What's funny is Erica Jane brought that up in a recent episode of Beverly Hills. I, I loved the drunk Rain Man thing. I kind of love that energy of a person that knows enough about something to profane that they know what they're talking about. I can't explain this, but whenever I hear someone talk about the Fertile Crescent, I think about, I just picture a croissant, but it's because of freaking crescent rolls, which really confused me about what a croissant was. And then the word fertile, I just isn't my favorite. It's like brag much, we get a crescent. You're ripe for the picking. I mean, we, but no, like it literally was, right? Because it, that it was about the soil and that like area of the Middle East was responsible for the agricultural revolution. Is that right? Again, bare minimum here. I just, but it's kind of fun to go through these things. Like, shouldn't we to brush up on our baseline conversational knowledge? Anyways, you guys delivered so much, and I could do a whole episode about this, but I also feel like I'm exposing myself for like not knowing anything. Um, like stoichiometry. What was that? I've heard that word in decades. What does that mean? Is that how you pronounce it? I'm embarrassed. Stoichiometry. It's a section of chemistry that involves using relationships between reactants and or products in a chemical reaction to determine desired quantitative data. What? I got bored during that sentence. I, I don't know what that means. Stoichiometry sounds kind of like a snooze fest. No, that didn't work. I got to move on. Thank you for that question. That was really fun. And thanks, guys, for contributing. Hi, Kate. It's Elizabeth. I am a, a mom currently unemployed. I was laid off when I was 28 weeks pregnant. And I have a uh, moral quandary sort of question. Uh, I was, you know, I'm also a good girl, never in trouble, yada, yada, yada. And I was curious if it's bad that I use other people's Mariano's phone number to get rewards at my BP because I just say 40 cents per gallon because I know my mom's friend always shops at Mariano's and is currently in St. Thomas. Obviously, money is not a problem for her, and I am unemployed. Is this a gray area? Is it bad that I do this? And I don't tell them that I'm using their rewards number, but I try to pick people that don't own a car or that, you know, money isn't a problem. I'm just curious. Thanks. Honestly, bless your heart for even feeling like this is a moral quandary. Because I don't know if I'm the problem, but frankly, I think all is fair in love and light couponing. I'll try my number, my sister's number, my husband's number, my dad's number. Hell, I'll, I'll take the local area code, then add 8675309 because somebody has always registered it. And I heard somebody say once that if you don't have a customer loyalty number, just type that. And it like does typically work. I don't think you're stealing from anyone. If anything, you're just effing up their coupon algorithm. But who doesn't love surprises? I would say be careful. 
at some retailers because, like, for example, I cannot be bothered to find my CVS extra care card that I lost in, like, 2014. So I just started typing in my sister's number. But the problem is she was getting emailed, itemized receipts of every item I bought and the location of the CVS I was at. So, you know, if she, like, lives in San Diego um, and someone's at a CVS on Clybourne in Lincoln Park buying a Yoohoo tampons, $26 of wet and mild cosmetics and a travel size down in Rico release because they're too lazy to iron. Like, obviously, that's something I would do in a location that I'm close to or was. I used to live down there. And, uh, you know, the only time I would feel guilty is when coupons would print because the great part about CVS is you can like get high on your own supply of extra bucks. But I never know if they're like I'm getting you know, so I've gotten like large quantities. Sorry, don't tell Kelly. I don't know if she's going to listen to this. You know, I'll get like seven extra bucks. And I'm like, hot damn, that's two Gatorades. Uh, but I won't use it because I don't actually, like, I don't know if I don't use it, if it's a waste or if she's getting, if in the, it's like CVS app or something, any coupon that physically prints you also can get in the app. Again, um, I lost my card in 2014 and I do not know how the app works and I'm too lazy to register. So, Frankly, it's none of my business. Um, in conclusion, I think it's fine to just get your basic di- grocery discount. As long as you aren't using someone's like bonus cash or points or something. And keep in mind that, if, you know, if you're buying personal things. Why'd you say s- they have a car? You said Mariano's, right? Hang on. Um, where did I, like, miss some of that? Let me listen again. Well, okay. What <laughs> <But> you... <laughs> What you said is, um, okay, I didn't, I, all I heard was Mariano's. I didn't catch BP, but I caught car at the end. Um, okay, so I just Googled this. You can use, hold on, save on fuel with Mariano's. Now Mariano shoppers get perks at the pump too. Earn 10 cents off per gallon for every $100 you spend at Mariano's with your Mariano's rewards card. And let those savings stack up for up to $1 per gallon. Oh, so... I just exposed myself. I did. I I said as long as you're not using somebody's bonus points or like cashback stuff. Sorry, girl. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I it's fair. It's so hard. I wow. This is a quandary. No wonder you called in at first. I was like, oh, sweet Beth, get the discounts. Those women supporting women. I think we all want to spread the wealth and good fortune. Uh, the, the share in the high of a deal. I would never mind if a friend, you know, used my phone number to get, to, to snag a discount. But yeah, you see, and that also totally depends because, okay, I was taking notes. You just say 40 cents per gallon because you know your mom's friend always shops at Mariano's and she's currently in St. Thomas. Obviously, money is not a problem for her and I am unemployed. Is this a gray area? I don't tell them that I'm using their rewards number, but I try to pick people that don't own a car or that, you know, money isn't a problem. I'm just curious. Thanks. Okay. Picking people that don't own a car. Yeah, that's a great idea. I would stick to that. You know, I think sometimes money isn't a problem as a matter of perception. What I'm about to say uh, is going to sound incredibly unlikable. Um, but, like, I, I, I feel like St. Thomas is one of the more budget-friendly Virgin Islands. No? Because it's still, like, part of the U.S. Maybe I just romanticized St. John because of Scary Island. Lord knows I could never even afford St. Bartholomew in the off-season, like Alex McCord and her thong bikini chasing Johan and Francois in chilling temperatures, because again, go in the off-season. 
I've been to St. Thomas, though, and I've been to St. John and Jos van Dyck and some others in the BVI. And I do think the BVI is maybe where you go if you're, like, rolling in dough. If we're going to go to the VI, I'd go to the B over the U.S., but I would stay in St. Thomas if I didn't have a passport. Legend has it that maybe it's hard to get a passport when you can't drive there because you have no money for gas. I'm just kidding. Um, and no, like you guys know, I'm not like a luxury traveler. I just, back in my corporate days, I, you know, used to relax by staring into space and had a, a tropical face and um, tried all of those different places. And they're all gorgeous, as is St. Thomas. Are you kidding? Um, but yeah, I just remember noticing the clientele was different in the BVI. And also, this isn't what you asked. And also, I'm just talking to myself. And also, I don't have an answer for you. Um, I think I'm just trying to now backtrack because now I feel bad if anyone's like saving up for the vacation of a lifetime on St. Thomas. I'm not saying it's not amazing. I just, you know, it doesn't necessarily imply that money's not an issue. Because I went there when money was an issue. (laughs) I guess I don't have an answer for you. Other than if you can use people that don't have a car, I think that's the better call. So it's kind of a head scratcher because if she doesn't notice, like, well, who cares? Like, nobody's using it anyway. But also, you have no way of knowing she doesn't notice because why would she ask you, her, her like, random friend's daughter, if you're using her? Honestly, I think your best bet is not honesty. It's rarely the best policy. I think next time you see her, you just tell a really harrowing tale of something BP Corporate has done. Also, LOL, like, you have to make that up. Uh, I don't know, the oil spill. Um, But, you know, say something weird about BP that, like, would make her never go back and basically just make sure she exclusively pumps it, shells, Exxon, so on and so forth. I think that's a good solution. You save money. She'll never know the difference. And if for some reason she does love BP and that discount, she'll be like, oh, shucks, I used to go to BP all the time because I get 40 cents off the gallon. And then you know she uses it and then, you know, maybe repent and... uh just use eight six seven seven five three zero nine going forward. Um, but yeah, I feel like we worked through that together. Thanks for calling. <laughs> also, I'm really sorry you got laid off. Uh, I'm, I wasn't even being sensitive to that. 28 weeks pregnant? Gosh, that's the worst. I'm so sorry. Um, I wasn't even being sensitive to that part because I think I'm so thrown off. I just so terribly misunderstood the question at first. But that blows. And honestly, I think you get a million passes from the universe. So ignore everything I just said. Love ya. This episode's brought to you by Nutrafol. You know what's interesting is I used to do podcast ads for them like several years ago and have used the product for forever. And back then it was like I thought my hair was shedding and thinning, but whew, I didn't know what was ahead of me. This is a different ballgame postpartum, and I'm grateful to be working with them again. And I tell you this so you know you're not alone. Did you know that hair thinning will happen to approximately one in two women? It's pretty wild. Nutrafol, I mean, to to give it a glowing endorsement, I was just about to say it's legit, but like it really is. I've used it for years and now I'm using their postpartum formulation and I feel like I'm seeing improved hair growth and decreased shedding and visible thickness. And I just feel relieved because it was just starting to freak me out. I'll need to show you on Instagram too. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger and faster growing hair with less shedding. Everyone's root causes of hair thinning are different. So a one size fits all approach to hair growth doesn't cut it. And Nutrafol has made multiple formulas that are tailored to give your hair what it needs to grow throughout different stages. 
such as postpartum in my case, or menopause, as well as different lifestyles, such as plant-based diets. And similar to me wanting to be more intentional about like the products I put on my hair, I love the idea of getting at the like literal root causes of thinning, um, which Nutrafol's formula targets, like stress and hormones and the environment, your lifestyle, etc. And and Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol women's hair growth supplement for six months. You can take their hair wellness quiz on Nutrafol.com for a personalized hair health plan based on your specific root causes. Purchase online, no prescription required, free shipping, and see results in three to six months. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's prescription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code BETHEREIN5. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code BETHEREIN5. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code BETHEREIN5. Hey, Kay, um, my question is, Regarding um, a lot of the, re- like, TikToks that I've been seeing recently, um, and I have seen, like, a few Torture Poets leaks, and not that I'm trying to give more, uh, call more attention to them, but I was wondering if you had any insight on, like, your side of things when writing the book. Like, is that something that was discussed at length, like, with the publishing company and, like, how to avoid the book getting leaked or how to avoid certain things being out there when you give advanced copies, obviously, to um, book reviewers and things like that. Um, It does seem like she's mentioned, you know, the desire to print vinyls and things like that give longer lead times to this lead-up to the album. So it just seems inevitable that at at one point, you know, maybe someone pulls it out of the box at Target and sort of, like, gives it a listen. I just feel like that's not that far-fetched, and I'm wondering, okay, so what links do people go to to protect their music? What links did you go to with your publishing company to sort of protect the entirety of the book, you know, not that your book was filling, like, Royals-esque tea, but it's still, you want to withhold all that so that it's worth it, you know, when the book comes out and people hear it or read it in its entirety. So I guess I'm just curious, like, do leaks matter? How much does it matter? What is going to matter in the new era of, like, TikTok and things like that? It just seems like a two-month lead time um, makes it inevitable for leaks. I don't know. I don't want there to be leaks, but it just seems like something that's unavoidable. Um, if you can speak this, that would be awesome. Uh, I love you. You crushed it in Boston. I uh, can't wait to see you again soon. Bye. Oh, my gosh. I am honored that you think <laughs> my book needed to be protected. It's a good question and one I actually don't really know much about in terms of music, but agree. Like, I, I okay, if I'm being totally honest, so I'm, I'm a reader, I'm a casual reader, but I'm not like a, an enthusiastic reviewer that pursues arcs and like, or, you know, early, like advanced readers, advanced reader copies of things. Book reviewers make the world go around, by the way. God love you. You have no idea what you do for authors like me. Um, and your role that is often done out of the goodness of your own heart for being an enthusiastic reader uh, is so incredibly crucial for people like me who like, yeah, I can hire PR and get a couple of press opportunities. But most of what's going to, you know, drive people to your book is is online conversation and recommendations. But like back in July, so when I first found out people were able to get it, 
I had so much anxiety. And I remember going on to NetGalley and like seeing how many people got the ARC. And I was like, wait, don't we want people to buy this? Like I I honestly kind of flipped because I didn't know how many Beths were in on this community. But who are the people I want to have access to it and read it, by the way? But I but there's a lot of pressure on the author to like perform sales-wise. And I was like, this is like a critical mass of people that wouldn't be buying books. It, it's not that easy to convince people to buy a physical book. Um, anyway, I was kind of shocked that people got it that early in, in advance. Just because I was completely new to this process, I didn't really understand how it worked. And I get sent arcs like as a podcaster all the time. Um, but I wasn't familiar with like how many people can go on and request an early copy and so on and so forth. I just had a lot of anxiety about like, how if people hated it, it would affect my like energy in promoting it because at the time I didn't know how to feel about it. Like I didn't have enough distance from it and I'm really hard on myself. Um, and there were full months where I thought it was awful and couldn't even like look at it. And there are times when it's like I've never been more proud of something I've done. And I don't really know how to explain that to people other than that's kind of this weird self-loathing cycle that happens when you work on something in isolation and you've worked so hard on it and the words start to blur together. Um, and you're not even able to like ascertain its quality anymore. Yeah, I had a very, I had a tough like m- chunk of months toward the end of my pregnancy and early like postpartum where I was just so frustrated that when I had to like finalize everything, I just, I was so tired. I didn't have mental clarity. I was saying in my newsletter last week, be there in five.substack.com, like when I did turn in the final version of the book, I never felt worse in my life, but I never needed more clarity, energy, and focus to like thoroughly. Rewrite, rewrite and review and improve like over a hundred thousand words about my life. Um, and I was so overwhelmed. And I just I had several months where like I just knew I could have what I just felt like it wasn't my best work. I could have done a better job. It needed to be trimmed down. There are parts of it to th- that to this day, I think, read so confusingly because I was just so tired and pregnant and miserable. And like, honestly, yeah. So that's, I, you know, I probably shouldn't say that. But like, I... I'm always going to think I could have done better, but I had like some pretty deep seated anxiety due to my frustration with how pregnancy like impeded upon my mental space. Um, So, yeah, I guess you weren't asking if I spiraled when people um, got the arc, but I did. I don't even know if I told anybody that um, except maybe Courtney. Uh, But I just yeah, the moment when you first start to get feedback on something that like is so dear to you. um is incredibly hard um and getting it early in a way that could affect how people talk about it before it's for sale is even more anxiety producing because you're almost worried that like if the right people don't read it or that aren't the right audience or yada yada like their opinion will affect people's desire to purchase it but yeah my content wasn't at risk i mean i wasn't i knew knew people weren't gonna be like you know, I knew my book wasn't like a page turner in terms of finding out information about me. I don't think anyone cares. And that's not really the type of book I was writing. I didn't put myself on the cover on purpose. It was more of like an us book that told through like random anecdotes about me. And even though people get on me about thinking it's memoir, it like really wasn't intended to be written that way because I, I was telling millennial stories about my life, but not my life story. But I understand difference of opinions. Sorry to those that got duped into reading my memoir. Um, but uh, yeah, so I don't think I can relate to the leaks piece because I wasn't worried about information getting out that I didn't want out. 
I was more so worried about people with early access not liking it and their input affecting um, other people's interest in buying it, especially if people were coming across it that maybe weren't the target audience. And at the time, I had no way of knowing if people outside my audience would like understand or resonate with my or my if my writing would resonate with them at all. Um, so, yeah, it was it was a whole thing. Uh but I will say, like, let's say I was in a different position and I had like a highly anticipated next book or, you know, some tea I was spilling. Um, that would suck. I would hate it. I think people think like guessing stuff can be like a fun game. And I know Taylor Swift's kind of by doing Easter eggs, like she wants people to guess stuff. But every time somebody successfully guesses something, I think to myself, I actually would hate that if that were me because it ruins the fun. And if I found a leaked album, like if I was one of those music stores in Germany that like got a vinyl early, I, and I, I honestly got mean this, I wouldn't post about it because I really don't want to ruin the fun for people. I would probably tell my closest Swifty friends, we'd have a group thread and we'd be texting and freaking out. But I don't know if I would take it to like the public square um, just because I think like the mark of true fandom would be like respecting that, you know the artist wants it released at a certain time, which I know is like such a goody two-shoes answer. I think the tough part about Taylor Swift is like she has such a content farm that anything you post about her will get high engagement. And, you know, that goes along with faking track lists and making AI songs. Um, but also I think that it ruins the fun if there's some like broader, bigger rollout planned. And she like very abruptly released the Torture Poets, uh, Torture Poets Department track list but I had also seen it leaked the day before. But the songs, again, sounded so weird, kind of like the lyrics to Karma. I was like, surely we don't have a song called Florida with three, three exclamation marks. Um, you know, among other things. Uh, it's fresh out the slammer. But daddy, I love him. Like, what? Uh, but anyways, I think the good thing is, is that the track list and small leaks and stuff, if anything, make me more excited. I don't know if I've actually ever really heard a song. I think she goes to great lengths to keep this stuff under wraps and in the hands of literally nobody until the very last minute. But with the vinyl production, like, lead time, yeah, that's tough to say. Um, I mean, like, the, I guess maybe the, the pandemic served this, but it's like thinking of how much of a complete surprise, like, no inclination whatsoever, Folklore and Evermore were, like, that was just so well pulled off. But um, yeah, I do know Midnight's got leaked. Red Taylor's version got leaked. Um, the AI songs on TikTok are pretty funny. I've heard I heard like a leak of a Post Malone one that was kind of a banger, Fortnite. Um, but the one about their Super Bowl ring, oh my god, you guys, it's so bad. Okay, so the hard part about this is it's kind of a hit. Um, but also, like, I think AI in this context is, like, kind of scary. And this is why I have, like, millions of hours of myself talking and probably saying every word ever on the internet. And it scares me for people using my voice to, like, scam my friends and family. This is why we have secret code words and I'm crazy about it. I mean, she's she's done some weird stuff, like rhyming, you know, I can't say anything to your face because look at your face. But uh, can't say that um, I've 
would have thought that that was real. <laughs> um, but anyway, I'm not doing a good job answering this question. I think it would suck. I haven't experienced it firsthand. Uh, with stuff like Spare, I do know, like, those quotes are leaked. They're not, like, actually leaked. Um, they're, like, put out by, like, his camp on purpose. Because if they're leaked before the book comes out, then he can use all of his press opportunities to formally respond and to generate buzz for the book. Okay, just slip to a page. This is what it says. People seem surprised when in passing I highlight the sexual magnetism of a VW Cabrio or Toyota Solera like it's a Ferrari. But I'd be open to a Pontiac Sunfire, too. I feel bad now. It's pretty rude of us to judge the cars of our classmates as if what they drove was a function of their personal choice. Did we honestly think Jason C. had his pick of the litter? Hey, litter. At the luxury car lot, but opted for the classifieds because he couldn't keep his mitts off of a 1992 Grand Marquis? It was probably passed down or what he could afford. Or I don't know, maybe he likes the unwieldy handsomeness of a six-seater from the George H.W. administration. Let him live! Like, what? (laughs) I did admit to, I might not have, like, piping hot tea, but I did admit to, like, Spilling piping hot soup on my mattress not once but twice, eating the dumplings and rolling over, and that being a core sign of my clinical depression in addition to listening to too much Damien Rice. So that's pretty saucy. Rather brothy. The last thing I will say, and again, I I want people that read the arc to know I'm so grateful. I just did I was not familiar with this process. I was new to it. Um, And I was like, well, what's to prevent people from, like, you know, sending it around or posting screenshots or whatever? It genuinely impressed me and like memorized me how there's a like there seems to be a real respect and understanding in like the book influencer community and in the broader like press outlets you send books to where you don't post excerpts, you don't post screenshots, you don't leak it, you don't send it around. Um, and I was like wildly impressed by how respectful people were um, that there's like an exchange of value, right? Like the value to the reader slash reviewers getting a book early, getting it for free. And it's kind of like a gentleman's agreement and like an exchange will provide an honest review that is really, really helpful in uh, generating buzz and reassuring, you know, distribution channels that there is engagement with this book, even when there's not necessarily like the full scope of sales data yet to prove it. And um, yeah, and so I, I was actually quite impressed with the process and amazed at how it worked and i'm like so grateful because a lot of you guys that got the arc also bought it which is just really really kind um and actually you know so and then i i sometimes i got nervous too sending pdfs like random press pitches and stuff because like 99 percent of them go absolutely nowhere and i'm like what's preventing somebody from sending this around it's watermarked with the publisher name but you know what i thought was genius is when i interviewed caroline calloway um, I was sent a PDF of Scammer with my name watermarked on it. Now, usually, like the on my uh, advanced reader, like PDF, the publisher's name was watermarked. So if somebody posted a screenshot, I wouldn't have known who who it was. But I was like, dang, Caroline, um, you know, maybe the two books she swore to me she was going to publish before the end of the year didn't produce. But I was very impressed by her uh, the tactic. I was very impressed by uh, the. I was very impressed by her commitment to uh, material not getting leaked. I think especially with her book, things that could be taken out of context and that would have been quote worthy and people would have been like Jones and Four on Reddit. Like that was really smart. Anyway, that was nice of you to ask. I could talk about the book process all the live long. I just don't want to bore people. But I would hate it if I were Taylor. Can't wait for Tortured Poets, though. Thanks for calling. Hi, Kate. Um, Beth here. Well, my name is Corey. I'm from Colorado. 
Um, I expect to go to your show at the end of this month with two girlfriends uh, at the Denver one. Very excited. Um, so this is kind of a question, kind of like a a deep thought, if you will, that I had. So I love Survivor, and I'm watching an older season of Survivor a few years back, um, and it's it's millennial first Gen X, Gen X. And the millennials are in their, in their 20s because this was several years ago. And I'm noticing that a lot of the complaints that the Gen X people have on the millennials are basically sounding the same as our, like, overall complaints that a lot of people have, not me personally, but in the zeitgeist of Gen Gen Zers, and it's like, oh, they don't know the value of hard work, they're more free thinkers, they're always on their phones or TVs, they don't interact with people, and it just kind of makes me think, is this just an old adage, like, a hearkening back to, like, a better time, and we have this, like, general nostalgia for the past in every generation in history, rips on the youngest generation and they reuse the same critiques just like updated for the modern times what are your thoughts on that thanks hi thanks for calling survivor i okay i i was like a huge survivor fan in the early seasons but like i for some some reason i stopped watching and i'm really not happy with myself and i'm about to admit this but i feel like my sister and i mostly watched it because we were fascinated by how much weight people would lose (laughs) It's dark. But, and I, like, at first, you know, things took a turn. But I, I was fascinated by Elizabeth Hasselbeck Beck for a time. Um, and the Richard of it all. What a traitor. Anyway, I I, I love niche uh, conversations about, like, singular reality seasons or contestants that everybody has forgotten about. Like, if I can find somebody at a cocktail party who will talk to me about, like, Kimberly Caldwell on American Idol, put a fork in me. I'm done. I don't need to talk to anybody else for the night. Let's deep dive. In my live show, in the intro, like my fake away messages I was typing, I made a Taylor Hicks Soul Patrol joke, and I just don't think people understood what I was talking about. <laughs> because, like, most people know, like, William Hung, she bangs, but um, not everybody wants to talk about how shocking it was when the Dodge got sent home. And like for he got fourth or fifth place and he had like legitimate talent and potential and he was beat by Taylor Hicks. Where is Taylor Hicks now? It's taking everything in me not to look him up. You know what's funny? I feel like randomly my husband and I like will reference the song Pants on the Ground, which now that I think about it was from American Idol tryouts. It was like a 60 something year old man that was like like made up a song called Pants on the Ground. And one of the early seasons, like way before Greg and I were ever together. And now that I think about it, Remember I was saying that I found a copy of of Chicken Soup for the American Idol Soul at his house and he told me it was his sister's? Uh, I've got some following up to do. Anyways, you're sick. Anyways, to get to your question, um, yeah, totally. I think that's what happens. Um, I said in my book that in a very weird choice of a way to say this, I said like the Jacob Black to our Renesmee, older generations imprint on us from a young age and define part of our worldview until the common behaviors of a generation develop their own distinction. And while millennials do tend to glorify tragic compound made-up names like Renesmee, unlike her imprinting, I think part of this distinction is how over time we've lost the need to defer to the way things were done by older generations just because they got here first. Maybe our way isn't wrong, it's revised. 
and I and I you know parrot that back because um, I do think that at a point we're always going to think we know better than younger generations, and we're always going to think older generations have like a level of irrelevance. I think that's like a rite of passage, or I don't know what the right way to say it, but like I think that makes sense. In the intro, I think I was talking about how like I hate how older generations stereotype us to be like lazy and entitled. And this is where I was saying like, ugh, I, I get so annoyed when, you know, we get made fun of by younger people sometimes because, uh, yeah, I'm like, we walked so you could hoverboard, Ada, and relax. But then I'm doing something that older generations do that I don't like that I don't want to do, do to younger people, which is holding like age and life phase against you. Um, because we're all a product of our time, just doing our best. That's a big like thesis of my book, even because I think a lot of the ways millennials are misunderstood are actually like things that make us a product of our time that like we're not going out of our way to be annoying and entitled and job hopping and this, that or the other. We're having to navigate circumstances that older people aren't contextualizing when they like make fun of us or completely dismiss us for certain behaviors. And to your point, I do think that happens within and between generations, no matter what, just because yeah, you're going to think you know better than people younger than you. You're going to think people older than you are slightly irrelevant uh, to your plight. And I think that that absolutely transcends generations. But I think the ways that we pick on each other are actually unique to a generation to a degree. Like, I think there's, to your point, the usual suspects of, like, young people not working as hard as you or seeming, like, lazier. And I think in some cases, it's, like, a different way of working. Uh, you know, in the book, I argue that being lazy, it's, like, Okay, may, may some people are lazy, but sometimes, you know, like millennials facing burnout, I don't know, we're, we're wanting to pursue work-life balance. So what might be perceived as lazy to one person is actually, I think, like a very healthy boundary to set, you know, to another. But yeah, I mean, I do also think that there's there was a value assigned to uh, jobs that we don't, in terms of like being lifers. But it's like, yeah, well, you also got like pensions. <laughs> Why would we just be loyal, loyal to a company for the hell of it? It doesn't really like make sense. So I think it's more of a function of like the way things were felt fixed when you were coming of age. People that now don't have to like deal with those barriers. That's kind of annoying paired with you not living in their time. So you're not understanding their context well enough to give them the benefit of the doubt. So you just say there there are all these things that are negative when really they're probably not all true. You just are slightly irrelevant to their plight, as I mentioned earlier, you know? Like, I try to keep myself in check because I get a little angry when I think about us being made fun of for stuff like, you know, resisting low-rise denim or whatever. And I'm like, you don't understand what it's like to grow up in, like, diet culture in a world where clothes are made, you know, to fit a very specific type of body so then you have to mold your body to fit into clothes and not vice versa and we've come so far I'm like why will we regress and then I just I want to like scream but like they don't understand that but also do they need to like what's does it serve anybody to give them a what about it so you don't know how good you have an argument like it's not going to resonate I think that's also where we go wrong is the I, I used to walk miles to sn uh, to school in the snow type of thing and like okay Kirsten Larson we get it but yeah, it was rare. I wasn't there. And I don't really know what you want me to do with that information other than attempt to minimize whatever it is I'm saying by suggesting like yours was worse. And um, I like to joke about things like dial-up internet within and amongst millennials, but I don't really like to be like, oh, you wouldn't believe the 
cat scratch garbage disposal ear bleeding nonsense we had to get through to sign on the internet because they don't get it and it's not funny or interesting to them but with with you know it, that's why it's more fun to reminisce with ourselves so yeah i totally agree with your observation i mean gen z kind of got a better edit than millennials did especially when like the bts crew took down that trump rally uh it's like we forgot Tide Pods ever happened. So we're like still the generational laughing stock. I don't feel like Gen Z is, but what can you do? Uh, as long as we we know we're cool and we realize that the coolest thing you could ever do is not care about other generations thinking you're cool, you know? Thanks for calling. Sorry for the American Idol detour. Anyway, I gotta get this episode uploaded. And since I finished, I don't know, I need to get caught up on the news today. I saw that the... um. There was, like, something passed in Alabama to, like, protect providers from prosecution in terms of IVF. Then I saw it expires, like, April 2025, 20, and it just seems like such a stunt for the election. I'm just, I'm not amused. I'm not impressed. I'm not charmed by anybody pretending like they protect IVF, and I'm annoyed. So the part I cut out, I might, I don't know, maybe I'll put it as bonus on Patreon, maybe on here. I don't really know if, like, I don't know. We'll see. Um, so this ad episode ended up being really all over the place in a really long recording session where I don't, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed it though. I love answering voicemails. There's so many more I want to get to. Maybe I'll do more next week. Love when you guys call in 312-379-9676. Felt good to be up here rambling on the mic again. I'm, <laughs> this is my favorite thing ever to do. And I love you for still being here after now officially six years. Oh, we didn't celebrate our anniversary. What's, what is year six? You know, there's like the wood anniversary, the paper one. It's honestly like probably plastic, LOL. Litterbugs. Um, six year anniversary gift. Iron. Ugh, rude. I use Downy Wrinkle Releaser in the dryer. <laughs> I don't like tire. <laughs> anyway, you guys, follow me at Kate Kennedy. Rate and review five stars. Like, please, for the love, you could leave a podcast review. A uh, good one. Uh, <laughs> it would be the world. Um, or just in Spotify, tap five stars. It makes such a difference. Um, yeah, I might like not take off. I'll still have a podcast. I'm thinking about like taking some vacation time. From that, I just mean like rotting on my couch and like catching up on the 12 TV shows I haven't watched. Like call some friends, do some like cluttering and organize, decluttering and organizing. How sad that that sounds like vacation, but I think I'm very behind on life since the book and like I just want to play with my kid. Um, but what's inter like an interesting part about being a parent is that you can't like couch rot on the weekends. You you're like up 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 and going and doing things and like ugh enrichment for child's brain and I'm just got to practice that rolling over. Um, but part of me wants to like take time off while I have childcare. You know what I mean? So then like I can actually relax for a few days. I don't know something wild. I'm considering. I don't need to work these thoughts out here, I guess. But um, I hope you guys have a great weekend. Thank you for listening. As always, let me know your thoughts and I'll let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear.